Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is alive indeed. If you are a little child, you can go on and scoot downstairs and enjoy all of the things that happened down there. Learn about Jesus this morning. Uh, My name is Ethan Fordham. I serve as one of the elders here at Renovation Church. So grateful to see each and every one of you, to have each and every one of you here with us on this glorious morning. There are moments in history that make a difference in the world. July 6th. 1415, a Czech priest, Jan Hus, was burned at the stake for refusing to recant for preaching in the common tongue. Now, maybe you don't know his name, but a hundred years later, his writings would make a difference in the life of one German monk, Martin Luther. 1921, Frederick Banting and Charles Best, for the first time, extracted insulin from the pancreas of a dog. A hundred years later, that discovery has made a significant difference in the world. And as one who has deeply benefited from that, I would not be alive standing here before you saying these words. November 17th, 2019, the first case of COVID was recorded. Surely, we know the difference that's made in the world. And we're still trying to learn the new normal two years later. These were impressive moments, but they pale in comparison to another moment. In the first century, there was a man who walked the earth with 12 disciples. He taught, he lived, he was betrayed by one of his own, and he was executed, hung on a Roman cross. This man was not the first to die for making radical claims, and surely he wasn't the last to come and die for making radical claims. Others came before, and others have come since. The difference is, this man Jesus Christ did not stay in the grave. He died, but now he's alive. So what difference has that made? What difference does it make that Jesus is alive? It's just with this in mind, I'd ask that you would turn with me to Luke chapter 4, sorry, chapter 24, 20 chapters later, we will be looking at verses 36 through 49, Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. It'll be displayed on the screens 
And if you do not have a Bible, please, there are Bibles in the back that you can take for free. This is God's Word. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray and ask for the Spirit's assistance this morning. Our gracious and merciful God, we come to you cold. By your Spirit, warm us. We come to you dull. Sharpen us with your word. Our minds and our hearts are often darkened. Lord, lighten them to your glorious truth that Jesus is alive. We ask this in Christ's name this morning. Amen. The disciples spent three years with Jesus, right? They came to know him as the Messiah, but then they saw him betrayed. They saw him crucified. And as all of these things are happening, they abandoned him. They left him behind. We only have record of one of the 11 actually being at the crucifixion. Jesus has died. But a lot has happened since Friday. The tomb is reported empty. And there are murmurings that some have seen Jesus. And these Facts make it to the apostles. And they are behind closed doors talking about things, these things. And, and we read, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Right, this is kind of almost a moment, right, where you're, you're standing there and you're talking with people and then you look over your shoulder and you're like, someone is standing there. And you're like, how long have you been standing there? 
I feel like that happens to me all the time in this office. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's often it's intentional, and I scare easy, <laughs> right? So all of a sudden, Jesus is there, and he, they're like, whoa, Jesus, right? And you'd expect them to be excited. You'd expect them, expect them to be pumped, right? Like, Jesus is here. Whoa, holy cow, Jesus is here. Well, not really. Not quite. We read that they're startled and they're frightened. And maybe even reasonably so, right? How often do we have a friend that dies and then just a week later is standing in front of us? We'd all be pretty frightened. (laughs) So maybe even reasonably so, they think they see a spirit, right? The spirit of Jesus as if he had shook off his mortal coil and left his body behind and has appeared as a, as a spirit. But Jesus rebukes them and he corrects them. He says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He offers himself to them for examination, to touch him, to feel him, to touch his body. But not only that, to examine in his hands and his feet the marks of crucifixion. In John, we read that Thomas touches the spear mark in his side. They could touch him. They could feel him. This is Jesus, and he was as solid as anyone. What are they they witnessing in this moment, right? We don't want to just stop short of what's really happening. Like, Jesus is showing up, and he's like, whoa, guys, chill. It's me, Jesus. Like, here, just touch me. Like, I'm really here. Just relax. That's not really what's going on. He was revealing himself to them in a profound way. He was bodily returned from the dead. He was dead, but now he's alive. And he allows them to touch him. And even more, he eats food in front of them. This is no spirit but is the risen Lord indeed. And his disciples, we see their reaction, that they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Right? Some things can be shocking like that, right? Maybe some of us here who are married remember our wedding days when you're watching your spouse walk up or down the aisle and you're like, I can't believe that this is happening right now. This is incredible. You disbelieve for joy. You marvel at the fact. They couldn't believe it. Jesus is alive, and he's here with us. Friends, what does this mean? What difference does it make that Jesus shows up bodily resurrected from the dead? Friends, his body 
resurrected, bore the marks of crucifixion. When he says, peace to you, he shows them in his own body the marks which bring peace between God and men. The peace that we have through his crucifixion, the peace that he brings between us and a holy God, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is proof that you and I can have peace with God. Christianity is this. It is, it is a set of truths connected to the activities of a person who lived, who did something, and whose wounds in history bore the mark of a reality that we can have peace with God. As we read the prophet Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all want peace, don't we? Peace in our lives. Peace from anxiety, depression. Peace about our futures. Peace about the futures of our children. Even looking around in the world right now, We've been talking about peace from war since the dawn of time. Even after two years of COVID, we want peace, don't we? Friends, there is no greater peace to receive than the peace that Christ gives. That even in all of the peacelessness and the restlessness of life, Christ brings true Peace between us and the living God. He is peace. And his peace he gives to us. Amen. His peace he gives to you. It makes all the difference in the world that Jesus is alive. Since Jesus is alive, receive him and his peace. But what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to receive Christ and his peace? What is the nature of this peace that Christ brings? Well, we continue to read. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms were just a traditional Jewish way of referring to the entirety of the Old Testament, of the Jewish scriptures, from Genesis to Malachi, a story about God, told through his relationship with a people, of God's holy sovereignty over the world in general, and of his care and faithfulness towards a people in particular. Yeah. 
It's a history of promises, of God's faithfulness. And Jesus makes a startling claim. He shows up and he says, yeah, it's about me. That's a startling claim. That's a a groundbreaking claim to look at these several centuries worth of history and say, that is about me. Don't miss that fact that Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. That God made promises and that Jesus is those promises kept. That Jesus is God's faithfulness on display. Now surely the disciples were skeptical, right? That's a startling claim. But we read, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Let's not forget, God opens the mind to scriptures. And we see Jesus exercising that power now. And even as we hear these words, let us also realize that Jesus is opening our minds to the scriptures. So what is it? What does he open our minds to? Well, he says, thus it is written that Christ, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, who are we talking about? We're talking about the Christ, the Greek for Messiah or Mashiach in in Hebrew, the Christ, the promised one. This is who Jesus is, that God made promises in the Old Testament, and in many ways, the Old Testament closes without the fulfillment of those promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. He comes as God's Christ, the one to fulfill that work. And he fulfilled those promises first by suffering. He who knew no sin should become sin, that sinners could become the righteousness of God, that he who knew no sin would bear God's wrath against sin, and that he bore it for a people, just as he promised in Isaiah 53. Jesus is the suffering servant who bore the sin of many. But he also fulfills it, not by staying in the grave, not only by suffering, but by resurrecting from the dead, resurrecting from the grave. Jesus rose to life. His sacrifice was accepted by his Father, he was vindicated in his work. He rules and he reigns as a king. That the enemy is defeated. Death, sin, 
Satan, the world, defeated in Christ's resurrection. And he rules and reigns now, holding the keys to death and to Hades. This is who Jesus is, the resurrected Lord. And this king that died by his death and his resurrection brings about two blessings for his people. First, Jesus died, and by his death, secures our death to sin. Repentance is the great gospel gift. We think of repentance as this negative thing, as this harsh thing. No, repentance is a gift. It's a gift from God that we can turn from sin to God, that we can turn from rebellion to obedience, that we can turn from death to life, that we can turn from our sinful ways to God's righteous ways. If you're a Christian here this morning, don't neglect this great gift of repentance. Always be ready and willing to repent of your sins, to confess your sins. There's no sense in hiding them. God already knows. But he gives us repentance to turn from those sins, to confess them to one another and to God. Friends, this is why week in and week out, we take the opportunity as a church to confess our sins as a congregation. And we do this not simply because it's good to do together, which it is that. We ought to confess our sins together as a church. But we do it because it sets a pattern for our lives, a pattern of repentance and confession for Monday through Saturday. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins, if you've never turned to God in repentance, you must know everyone, every single sin brings about God's righteous and holy displeasure because he's good because he's righteous because he's just he must punish sin but if you repent of your sin he will forgive if you turn to Christ for forgiveness you will find him a merciful savior but you might ask me, how do I know that? How do I know that that to be the case? How do I know that repentance turns to life? I know because of this other blessing that this king secured through his resurrection. All who come to God in repentance have the promise of forgiveness of sins. God said he would do this. 
that he promised the forgiveness of sins. As we read in Jeremiah 31, this great gospel hope, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Or even in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove their transgressions from them. Friends, we deserve the opposite of this. Our just deserts are wrath and punishment. But Jesus Christ rose from the grave to give us the great hope that we too rise from death to life, from sin to righteousness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His life, our life. It does not matter who you are this morning. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter what you've done. There is no sin too great for Christ to forgive. Do you think it unthinkable that Christ could forgive you? Perfect. You're exactly who he's looking for. And perhaps all of us should maybe even think it unthinkable. How? It's grace. It's mercy. The mercy of our God. Friends, believe his word that his resurrection can give you life. Are you maybe a Christian here who struggles with assurance? How could Jesus forgive me? Friends, Jesus is alive. And let this word assure you, because he is alive, he has secured the forgiveness of your sins. You can be assured before the Lord. And for all of us here who have entered into the waters of baptism, as we heard in our call to confession this morning, that our baptism is a dying and a rising. That it is a uniting. It unites us to death. In Christ's death, a death to sin. And it unites us to Christ in a resurrection. A resurrection to life. Baptism is Christ's word to us. That we are dead to sin and alive in God. Friends, this is Christ's word to us. Jesus came to save sinners and is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus' work and identity revealed in his word make all the difference in the world. Because of his death and resurrection, we can be raised in him. Since Jesus is alive, friends, since Jesus is alive, believe those words. Believe his 
words. And this is a good word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is alive. This is a good word that we can die to sin and rise to life. People need to hear this word. The message has got to get out that people can have peace with God and be reconciled to him. So how's the message get out? We continue to read. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus has given his apostles his word, a message that the world ought to believe, a message that is not simply a set of propositions, but propositions connected to a person. The apostles were witnesses of these things. And so were we. 2,000 years later, this word has made it to people like us. In Syracuse, New York, right from the other side of the world, from a people that we were even strangers from, from the Jewish people to us Gentiles, all the way here in Syracuse, Syracuse, this, this place, this, it's snowing and it's April. And yet the goodness of the gospel has made it here to people like us who, sunder, who suffer under such oppression as the snow that we hit here. How has this happened? How has the message made it here? The apostles took seriously the command to take this message to the ends of the world. Yes, they waited as Jesus told them to. But 50 days after the resurrection, Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost that Jesus died and that Jesus was alive. And 5,000 plus people were added to the church that day. And we see in the book of Acts that this message, it gets out. And it even goes beyond the Jews themselves. It goes to the Samaritans, a people considered disgusting by the Jews. It goes to the Gentiles with Cornelius that the message is getting out. And further, beyond that, it goes to the ends of the known world. Acts begins with the gospel going to Rome. The gospel message is getting out. And in response to this message getting out, churches are established. Churches are established across the known world. The whole of the New Testament, most of those letters are letters written to particular churches. Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia. The message is getting out. 
Churches are being established. The word is being proclaimed. And this movement of the message is happening really through two particular groups of people. The first, it happens through the ministry of the church and through the work of pastors. Of pastors. Pastors are called to do the work of an evangelist are called to preach the gospel. Even now, even now, let's get to get a little meta, even now the message is getting out. The gospel is being proclaimed. The message goes out through the ministry of the church, through the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel, that sinners can be made right with God. But connected to this calling, connected to the pastor's calling, is the call to the church in general, to members of particular churches. It's not just a pastor's job to do this work. It's your job too. And it's my job, it's our job in this church to train you for your job, to train you to get that message out. If you're a member of this church, take seriously your job to tell the world about this resurrected God, this resurrected Christ, that people could be made right with the Lord, that people could turn to Christ in faith and repentance. Amen? That people can have peace with God. It is the only hope for your friends, your neighbors, your family. Preach the gospel and help us as pastors, help us to help you do that. Surely we have fears though, right? I'm going to acknowledge that. I have fears. Sure, you have many fears. Fears of rejection even just fear of man, fear of looking silly, fears that will sound crazy. After all, we're talking about God taking on flesh, dying and coming back from the dead. It sounds kind of crazy, but it's true and it's good. And we ought to realize that the message is not advanced by our eloquence, nor is it inhibited by our stuttering. The power of this message is not even natural to us as human beings. Jesus sent the promise of his Father to the apostles and clothed them with power from on high. And this is the same power that he has sent to all of his people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit coming into each and every believer in Christ. It's the third person of the Trinity. It's God himself who comes and who enters into a believer to proclaim this 
message. The message is powerful because God is powerful to save. Amen? If you're a Christian here this morning, you are clothed with power with the power from on high. You are occupied with the Spirit of God to proclaim this great and glorious message. It does your fears, they can be conquered. Your nervousness, your whatever gets in the way of proclaiming the message. Friend, you are qualified for this. You are empowered for this task because the Spirit of God dwells within you. And let us not miss this moment, too, that the Father is the one who sends the Son to create this message that people can be saved and that the Father and the Son send the Spirit to His people to take that message and to go out and proclaim it, that people can be reconciled with God. Friends, let's take seriously our responsibility to tell others about Jesus. Let's not neglect this great message. No more talk of Netflix, of the latest show, of the weather, however bad it is or good. We talk so much. We have so many just comfortable surface-level conversations, don't we? I know I do. Friends, Jesus is alive and his message is good. And since he's alive, let's proclaim that message to the world. Amen? Friends, what difference does any of this make that Jesus is alive? Friends, Jesus is alive and he's brought us peace. Peace between us and the Lord. Peace between one another. Jesus is alive and he has died to give us repentance and risen to life to give us life. The forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is alive. It's made all the difference of the, in the world. In the world, amen. Even here in Syracuse, New York. In our lives people like us. Praise God. Friends, Jesus is alive and it's made all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Our gracious and merciful God, our living and true God, all the glory and the honor and the praise are yours. For Jesus was dead, but now he is alive. We were dead, but now we're alive in him. Give us hope, Lord. Give us strength to proclaim this message and receive all the praise and the honor and the glory due to your name, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, to the world without end. We pray in his name. Amen. Friends, it is at this time that as the people of God, we have the opportunity to eat a meal with God. In the ancient world, a a meal was a symbol, a symbol of peace between two parties. And friends, Christ has brought us peace. Amen? He speaks his word of peace to us, and in this meal, we see his peace. We participate and partake in his peace together. Friends, we eat with Christ and express our peace with him in this moment. And not only that, but together, as the people of God, as we eat peace with our Lord, we eat peace with each other. That Christ has indeed saved us from our sins. I encourage you to reflect on this peace when you come forward, the peace that you have with a living God. If you are here this morning, you are a Christian, this meal is for you. It's for you to remember that peace. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or you haven't been baptized into his church, we'd ask that you would abstain from participating in this meal so that we as a church might be obedient to the scriptures. And if you're wondering, what is this message? What is this peace that I can have with God? Ask me, any one of the elders, or any member of this church. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to have peace with the Lord. This time I would invite the ushers to come forward. When we participate, all of the, the, we'll come down the middle aisle. You'll take each one of the elements, go back, sit back down in your seats, and we'll partake together. The bread is uh, all gluten-free. Um, so when you're ready, would you please rise? Uh, let me pray, and then we'll rise and you'll come together. Let's pray. Lord God, Bless this meal. It is true food. It is true drink. Apply Christ's benefits to us this morning and be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is you ready to come forward?
the words of institution from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Holy and merciful God, we thank you for this meal that we have received, for the word of peace that it brings to our souls, that we have peace with you, that Christ's benefits are ours, that we are justified, God, before your throne, that we are being sanctified and made holy as a people, and that one day we will be with you to participate in your life in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we anticipate that in that day. We look forward to it. God, give us hope for that day and be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please